Bond. James Bond. I suppose listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. Do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. All right, everyone, welcome to a uh, very different sort of episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. Uh, we are here under sort of inauspicious circumstances, uh, very sad circumstances to um, talk about the loss of Sir Sean Connery. Uh, we, we've we spent all year talking about Bond. We started with Connery. Uh, we've done numerous Connery movies over the course of this podcast. So it's time to wrap that up. And uh, for, for context's sake, um, we are recording this the night of November 2nd. Uh, so things are very weird. <laughs> so, this is the pre-apocalypse version of Yeah, the this is maybe the last podcast any of you ever hear. <laughs> yeah. So, oh so my there God, we go. That would so, be so sad for all of you. Yeah. Uh, yes, I hope. Well, I mean, I I could. By the time you hear this, the voting will probably be over. I know, but I'm putting uh, it out energetically into the universe. Like, feel it in your souls and go vote, fuckers. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, I I agree with that. Definitely. Okay. Um. Okay. So so I'm Andy. I'm here. We've got we've got Mark. We've got Brooke. We've got JB. Welcome back, JB. Thank you. We had to have you back because uh, uh, you you've been on on several of the the other Connery centric movies. We we talked about The Rock with you. We talked about Red October with you. You didn't join us for Zardoz. Maybe we should have had you for Zardoz. I don't know. That was just me and Mark. That was that episode. <laughs> that podcast needed something. There there was a lot of chest hair jokes I had for you, but I should have the- called in and done them for you. The best thing about that episode is it is very short. That is, so. I mean, like Zardoz should have been. <laughs> it's like we were so, embarrassed to be covering it. <laughs> I, I kind of am. I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed for Sir Sean. But so I want to start this off by saying Sean Connery was a complicated person. He was a man and like all all men, like all people... We are we are good. We are bad. He had very bad things about him. He had very good things about him. And I want us to, you know, celebrate the good and the joy that, uh, you know, he's able to bring into our lives through his acting while also being cognizant and understanding of, you know, the context around that and some of what that meant. Um, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, but and I think specifically through the lens of James Bond of, you know, what why Connery is so iconic. Um, well, I mean, he still represents a man of a certain period. Uh, exactly, that's yeah, exactly this, it. There's this whole generation of men still kicking around um, that still have that kind of mentality. We're going to talk a little bit more about his mentality. I mean, as great as he was as an actor and what he contributed to to film, I, there was like some major, major faults in his personality and character. But mm-hmm. he represents a group of men that are still kicking around. And, yeah, and but like, isn't a lot that of those all of us? Vote. So, yeah. 
Sorry. Yeah. No, I think that's I think that's a really valid thing to say, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just never mind. I'll keep my mouth shut. No, no, don't. I was gonna go off on a little bit of a tangent here. So I was having this conversation over the weekend. Um, We went on a bit of a journey with some friends. I'll just leave it at that. And one of them, while we were working through some stuff with him, he he brought up this idea of how he's never been allowed to embrace masculinity like never be able to like be close with men and like hug and like have physical interaction without it being seen as gay or being seen as like anti-masculine. And he's always felt like he had to be that like isolated individual man. And I think that that is what Sean Connery, like most clearly represents is this, like, especially as, as a bond character, right? He's an Island. He's the, he's the rock. Yeah. He, he's his own right. thing. And then, and then we see women growing up and they get to hold hands and they get to be soft and they get to be gentle with each other and they get to embrace each other and love and nurture and all these things. And then that, that nurturing, I think because men crave it and aren't allowed to have it is seen as weak and below yes. them. And so, we create this thing where like we talk about how we don't as women, how we hate toxic masculinity and we hate this idea of men being um, so closed off and unemotional and for better or worse on whatever level it is abusive towards women. And I, I really feel like as a very strong feminist who loves men and masculinity and thinks that this idea of masculinity should be fluid and should be shared between men, that in order for us to take toxic masculinity out of society, we have to start allowing for there to be a fluidity between masculine energy without it being seen as offensive or gay or threatening. And that by nature of us growing up and women being tired of being seen as weak we push against men and we sort of push men further into this box of toxic masculinity and it becomes this very polarizing cycle that is truly represented by characters like james bond and by the the masculine man image that sean connery really represented and i think that there's so much to learn from these characters and to take out but that it comes with a breaking down of both toxic masculinity and overly defensive femininity and learning how to to exist together and have men be a unit that support each other in embracing masculinity so that all parts can play equally. I'll just leave it. Yeah. So um, podcast hey. is over. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> hey, hey. Over. Mark. Yeah. I love you, man. All JB. right. Well- I love you and JB, man. Dude, Andy, you JB, and I... Hugged. I love you so you much, I, man. You, you have and no I hugged, idea. You and I hugged enough from 1994 to like 2000, I think, to cover uh, the entirety of what Brooke talked about. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I wish... Uh, I wish COVID wasn't happening. Uh, you know, head on down to San Antonio, come on up to Salt Lake, and give you all hugs again. Because yeah, you're—I mean, Brooke, you're absolutely right. And we do need different molds and different modes of what masculinity means. And um, Connery was the scion of what that sort of quote-unquote man's man was well, right. in the '60s. 
Yeah. And that's l- largely wrapped up in James Bond and that persona. And I think that's why podcasts like this are so fucking powerful is because we can really dig into what these things are and we can appreciate these parts. Like we need to appreciate the masculine parts of men to be able to like have there be comfort in all areas of it. I, I also find it very, very interesting um, sort of a yin and a yang ultra cosmos way. And I, I know I'm in like super heavy, like hippie energy right now. So whatever but no i'm digging it so the day after that sean connery died one of my personal heroes betty dodson passed away and she is like the epitome of the female feminine movement of taking back sexuality teaching women for literally 40 years how to masturbate and how to make their sexuality spiritual and how to embody it and how to make their bodies their own again and how to own that and share it with their partners and determine for themselves like what that's going to look like and take meaning and purpose out of their bodies and their sexuality and their spirituality and combining all of it together and i find it really interesting that she was 89 and he was 90 and the day after this ultra masculine man passes away her her journey on this earth is also finished and i think that the two of them like leaving this realm at the same time opens up so much space for all of us to start taking these missions and purposes and bringing them together and and like changing start the something new. world yeah and you know um it went pre-podcast we were talking about uh sean connery and jb brought up uh tom cruise and the reason i'm bringing it up right now is that the men i grew up with were all about clint eastwood sean connery charles bronson as what men should be all the men i grew up with hated tom cruise because he was such a sissy and so effeminate um and they they still have that mentality you know that you have to be in order to be a real man you have to be this rough gruff take what you want at all costs type of mentality um and you know and that's what you know for better or for worse a lot of times for worse that's what sean connery represented and and the characters he embodied and this is the kind of stuff we grew up with i mean i'm not the only one y'all did too and these are the kind of things that we have to grow out of and we're still having to work to grow out of this and you know and that's part of the the sean connery legacy that we're going to be discussing today you know that there is plenty of good plenty of great but there's also the stuff that he embodied that you know adversely affected the way men grew up and behaved and and justified uh what they did uh because they were just following a pattern that was set for them yeah so let's let's get the uncomfortable part of this done first um because we're we're skirting around this um in in 1967, uh, Sean Connery did an interview with Playboy, or excuse me, November 1965. Uh, he said, I don't think there's anything particularly wrong about hitting a woman, although I don't recommend doing it in the same way you'd hit a man. He described an open-handed slap as, quote, justified, uh, but he also said it should only be used, quote, if all other alternatives fail and there has been plenty of warning. Adding, 
quote, if a woman is a bitch or hysterical or bloody minded continually, then I do it. Um, in 1987, uh, he sat down with Barbara Walters and uh, she asked him about those quotes and if he'd changed his mind over 30 years. And he said, I haven't changed my opinion. If you've tried anything else and women are pretty good at this, they can't leave it alone. They want to have the last word and you give them the last word, but they're not happy with that last word. They want to say it again and get into a really provocative situation. Then I think it's absolutely right, he said. But what I was really saying was that to slap a woman was not the crudest thing you can do to her. I said that in my book, it's much more cruel to psychologically damage somebody to put them in such distress that they really do come to hate themselves. Sometimes there are women who take it to the wire. That's what they're looking for. The ultimate confrontation. They want a smack. Um, well, wow. that's, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> Shark power, uh, you ladies and gentlemen. However, oh, I to, mean, are we to... talking sexually? No. <laughs> he's, l- listen, he's talking about. Talking I know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but he's he's talking about control now. Okay, in 2006, he he told the Times of London, "My view is I don't believe that any level of abuse against women is ever justified under any circumstances." Full stop. So, um, you know, and he has ex-wives who claim that he uh, both both mentally and physically abused them. And, um, you know, uh, in, in an era where we believe women and, and their stories, you know, we need to we need to take that into account um, that I mean, that's all terrible. Uh, it is also, I feel like, super typical. Um, I mean, this is the same behavior that I've seen in other older members of my family uh, that I do not condone, that I, in fact, condemn, because those people should have known better. Uh, and it's wrong. But um, I, I mean, this is what society told people like this is what you do uh you know if you have an argument with a woman then yeah you're justified in smacking her around and you look at 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 the bond role um you know and from russia with love uh you know they're on the train and she's getting hysterical and he slaps her to make her stop so i have a question for you sure and first, I just want to qualify that I don't believe that women are responsible for toxic masculinity. After what uh, I said, neither do I. I, I don't want it to be seen that that is what I was trying to say. Um, I just think that the way that culture created things, it sort of led men down this path to wanting softness in their lives, being told that that was wrong, and then not and being confused by it when it was then asked of them again. Um, and I think that led to a lot of men not knowing what to do. And I think that he is a product of that. Just like you said, there are so many older men who, who believed that was the answer. Right. And you stated that, um, 
his ex-wives have confirmed some of these actions. Do we know, like, how long has he been been married to his his now widow? Michelin? I think the, the first wife had most of the accusations, and I think that was in the 60s, right, Andy? And then, Yeah, it was like... Met, okay, was, so she, I, you know, I'm looking at a thing right now. So they've been married for 45 years. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Um, did she have any complaints? Not that I know of. Yeah. So, like, here's what I'm wondering at, right? Like, and especially with the political environment, what it is today, there, there's always these accusations being flipped out about people being flip floppers and and changing their opinions, blah blah blah. When, like, Hillary Clinton, for example, um, being against gay marriage and then being for it, and the same with like views on abortion and whatever there are a lot of times where i don't see these older members of our society as flip-floppers but i see them as evolving naturally as they get and receive more information and more exposure and they evolve to a higher state of being do you think that that could possibly be the case with sean connery where he really did believe and act that way and by 2006 he was like yeah it was full shit yeah, that is not acceptable. I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, that I, is very possible. I would hope. I don't. I don't know. I don't personally know him, and don't know any of the reports and things. But um, I, I mean, we I'm have to allow to for people to evolve. Like we, we have to allow for that. And you know what? I, I mean, not to get like crazy political, but we have a candidate that has served in Congress for decades, and we got to see how his mentality and you know frame of view has changed over the years i'm talking about joe biden yeah. uh, i mean the reason they've been able to dig up stuff on him and use it against him is that at a certain point he believed and said certain things and his point of view evolved you know according to the times according to the information he was getting so we have to allow for the fact that people within time will see the error of their ways. Um, I mean, I can speak for myself because like I'm a work in progress and there are things that I believed that I'm like, I'm horrified that I believed in them at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was raised in an extremely homophobic home and, you know, I, I was convinced that, you know, the, the, uh, a homosexual lifestyle was just, it was so sinful and, you know, you were going to burn and, you know, nobody wanted anything to do with homosexuals. Like, what the hell is that? You know, that that's what I was raised in. That's what I was led to believe, you know. But as time went on, I was like, no. Like, I not only did I have friends who were gay, I worked with people who were gay. And I got to see them as who they are. And I, I was like, no, this is nothing like what they were promising me they were supposed to be. And now I'm like, in, in terms of uh, social politics, I'm extremely liberal. Like, I'm nothing like what I was when I was... 13, 14, 15, uh, when I was hammered with all these uh, uh, doctrines about what I should be believing in. So, I mean, if if I have evolved in a period of 25 years, I'm very sure that Sean Connery got to see the error of his ways. I don't know when, uh, uh, but I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Mark, you just told my story, too. Like, I'm I'm ashamed of some of the opinions that I held when I was in middle and high school and things I I surely said and hurt people. Um, it was terrible, and you know, and I think I think I'm better now, but I'm not 
like that again work in progress you know right. we're all we're all changing well, well no. I, cut you off. I felt think, that way. You have to think about it from the Jungian perspective, though. I mean, most of the first half of your life is spent um, in in almost self-aggrandizement, right? Where you're looking on, what did my family give me? What did my culture give me? And then when you hit that midlife, that's actually where the midlife came from, is it's you realizing that on the latter half of your life, what you knew wasn't likely what you wanted to believe right you these the, the changes occur as you feel like you what significance you want to have and what are the what kind of individuation stuff do you want to then connect with uh from the the unconscious right and and brooke that's kind of what you were talking about how, how do we then relate to it as our waning years? What do we really want to be and how do we really want to be remembered? And what did we bring with us from the first half that no longer suits us? And, yeah. and Jung always cracks me up because he says, you know, men finally get those kinds of things in their 40s. Uh, women usually get them much earlier. And that's unfortunate because by then usually they've grown together. Uh, and that's that's where that midlife comes from is it just takes men in a lot of ways a lot longer to separate those two halves of their life. Right. Yeah. But I think one thing is, uh, I mean, I, I grew up where Andy did and Brooke where you did. And I recognized that even though there were ways of thinking that uh, I may no longer agree with, I'm not super hard on myself because I didn't have the opportunity to know anything different. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not yeah. like there was the opportunity for me to, to understand, um, what a different lifestyle was or what different people thought because right. those people weren't there and we didn't have the, the access to uh, the media that we do now to be able to see what that difference is. Right. Right. So right. I, I think you're, I think Brooke, your point is right on. And I think all of those factors went into probably why Connery was different. And, and in a lot of cases it could be um, having a better, not a better, but a different person around him who goes, I, I'm not going to put up with that shit. Right. So you either get it out or you get out. Um, and I see that a lot also. And I think all of us do in um, older people who meet their um, their better half. And I mean significantly better. And that better half goes, you better shape up or ship out because uh, I'm the best thing that ever happened to you. And you better figure it out. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of those factors um, that went into that. And his his widow seems like a badass she seemed like a really cool lady yeah. so Doesn't she yeah yeah and, and you know y'all uh like if you take a look at the characters he portrayed uh from like the mid 90s and on there was a softening to the characters the roles he took on and his delivery uh he, he wasn't that extremely fierce macho dude anymore because i mean if you think about the way he portrayed king arthur in first night um and even the rock like uh he turned to jelly for his daughter. Like everything was about, you know, getting to getting in touch with his daughter uh, and finding Forrester to me is probably the ultimate Sean Connery uh, portrayal of any character. And like the levels of, I don't even know how to explain it, but like there was, it, it's, it's so uh, unconnery, but so Connery at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, exposition in that movie and especially when he's uh talking to uh the main character uh which, what's his name uh i forgot the main the main character's name in the movie 
um, what's his name? Shoot. Does anybody know? Wallace? The guy who's the man now dog? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. Uh, He's he's the man now dog. That's all I know. I forgot his name. Why am I forgetting? I've got got IMDB open. Hang on a second. Um, Let's see if I can remember. I'm going to close my eyes really hard. Jamal. 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 Okay, yeah. Yeah. So when he's talking to Jamal's character about um, the the experience. That's right with Wallace. That was his last name. uh, The experience about his brother dying. um, Just the, the, the... it just humanized uh, Sean Connery uh, to me, anyway. And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but like the, all the roles from the mid to late '90s and on till till his last movie, even in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, like it's just there is this softness to the way he portrays characters, and I think the lessons he learned in life, or maybe things he saw. Uh, things that he reflected upon maybe uh, also affected the way he portrayed characters because it wasn't all like uh, like what we had in the beginning of James Bond where it was like I'm man and I'm taking what I have to uh, type of stuff or, yeah. or, or or even like his character in Marnie which Andy saw yesterday right? Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah because well, that was like Marnie whoa. Marnie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so I think yeah life did soften him and I think like JB said, you know, once you reach midlife, you start reflecting a lot of the things that you used to believe in, a lot of things you did, and you know, you're you're forced to reckon with those things, and you have to make a, you have to start making decisions as to you know how you want to be remembered, and I I think he made the right decisions. Well, and and we laugh about that here because um, I'm a lot more, well, I guess they would say belligerent in the house about what I do or don't do. And a lot of my reasoning is because I'm, I'm halfway done. I don't have yeah. to do stuff I don't want to do anymore because that's it. Like, I'm not going to spend the rest, the next 40 to 50 years doing stuff I don't want to do. And you wonder how much of that, Mark, to your point, was him having to portray a persona, mm-hmm. um, not only personally, but professionally, right? And then he got to a certain point in his career where he's like, you're going to pay me $15 million no matter what. So I'm going to be who I am and, and, and be the character that I'm more likely to be rather than, well, I have to always be James Bond. I have to always talk about again to Brooke, your point that doesn't justify it, but that is another factor in if I want to keep seeing the checks come in the door, how do I have to act uh, to hold myself to a certain standard? And, and that's, and you know, Andy, you brought up a good point or Mark, sorry, with Tom Cruise. I always, I always, it sounds weird, but I always feel a little bad for people like Tom Cruise who are followed around 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, who, who are idolized and, and never allowed to be who they are as a person, right? They always have to be that character that people want them to see right. and they have agents and, and people telling them, this is how you need to be on this show. And this is what you need to do. I always right. feel, I mean, the money's probably nice, but. It, it seems like it really robs you of the ability to attain that um, that peace of mind and that uh, that self-centeredness because you, you never get to know who you are. And uh, and you're right. Maybe Connery did find that um, in his waning years when when that pressure wasn't on him anymore. I'll tell you what the number one thing that gets to me, the feeling that I hate the most in this entire world is the feeling when it's like everybody wants a piece of you and everybody wants to 
everybody either wants something from you that is like somehow extractive. Um, they want to take something from you so that they can get from you yeah. or they want to tear you down. Yeah. Right. That is the worst feeling. And I feel that sometimes. And I think that, you know, someone who like Sean Connery, who was uh, at the time, and we mentioned this in our Diamonds Are Forever episode, uh, he was the highest paid actor ever. Guinness Book of World Records, like the amount of money that they gave him to do that movie was the largest sum anyone had ever been paid for any film. And, you know, and there's expectations and there's pressure with all of that. And I think, you know, um, you know, Connery, you know, once he got out of the 60s and even out, I think out of the 70s, even yeah, I'd agree. Um, he, he really, you know, he had that persona. He had the gravitas like behind him. So he could kind of do what he wanted. And, yeah. and, and and Andy, what's the number one quote in politics? The the biggest problem is when you believe your own press, isn't it? Something oh, like yeah. that you always yeah. said. So yeah. I I remember you always would say that, like never believe your own PR because yeah. it's usually wrong, and that's yeah. right exactly what you're saying. Well, yeah. you know what, Andy, and and and, uh, and I'm sorry I interrupted you, folks, no, but um, so I was what I. Uh, finished watching Lovecraft Country, and if y'all haven't started, like, please do so. It's one of the greatest shows oh, ever. Too. And Can't the wait. reason I'm bringing this up is that uh, you're right, Andy. Like, uh, but he, since he was a man and represented manhood, he was able to write out this the the expectation train that comes with with celebrity, especially around that time and during that era. Um, but like, you have the reverse with somebody like Judy Garland, and um, yeah. They have this episode in Lovecraft Country where uh, Jordan uh, Peele uses an interview with Judy Garland where, I like, I'm not even kidding here. I got really emotional listening to it and the way it relates to the episode where she's talking about how, you know, everybody's always on her. They're always assuming stuff about her. They make her out to be this horrible person, but all she's trying to do is make a living for her children. And, you know, she can't please everybody. She feels she has to please everybody. And it makes her feel so broken, but she feels a strength within her. Um, mm. Please listen to that. First of all, watch the entire series, but listen to that to that interview because it, it breaks my heart, you know. And I know a, a bit about Judy Garland's life and what Hollywood did to her. And she represents the the other side that, uh, that we have with Sean, Sean Connery had the, the upside, she had the downside, and it's all because of that male-dominated culture that prevailed, that he represents. Uh, and, you know, that was quite adept at just putting women down, uh, even somebody as talented as, as Judy Garland. But you're right, you know, of that life with these deep expectations that everybody expects you to be a certain way. And it got to Connery, because uh, remember when uh, he was interviewed in Japan, after when you uh, when he was filming, uh, you only live twice. Yeah, uh, he didn't want to do the interviews, and he didn't have his wig on, and he was he was getting pissed off of the people that were annoyed with him for not having his wig or looking like James Bond. Like he was just pissed off, and and in the interview he says that that was like the worst shoot he ever had. He couldn't wait to get out of Japan because of that 
you know, that deep expectation that people have that you have to live up to being the persona that they have in their head. Well, and his, his marriage, it sounded like was disintegrating at the same time. It was falling apart. You know, that was a rough time, uh, for, for him in, in that. And, uh, it probably was not a happy time if he's, you know, also smacking his wife around, um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't, I'm I not, I'm know, not I, blanche saying like, I feel bad for abusers, but no. I am saying, I understand that it does come from a place of hurt Yeah, and, um, you know, that if there is redemption, it has to come from addressing that underlying hurt. The abuse is obviously like not acceptable, but so you I know, just you, I would, you can understand it. I'd like to point out that your feeling that way, Andy, is not indicative of you excusing or accepting abusers. It mm-hmm. is very illustrative of the fact that you have chosen in your own life to break a cycle. And yeah. that is why you yeah. have empathy towards the abuser and you have changed your life and moved forward in a new space. And I think that when we look at these people like Sean Connery and we look at like the Britney Spears and the, um, oh God, the guy we were just talking about. Sorry, my brain is not. Tom Cruise. Uh, Tom Cruise. Thank you. Um, when, we, when we look at all of them and we look at how they are thrown into these spotlights and they are given permission to be as extreme and extravagant as the world wants them to be until they cross some invisible line that we, that they don't even know exists. And then they are thrown out and discarded and crucified and taken apart at every level. When you, when you look at that kind of person and you find people like Tom Cruise and like, uh, well, I don't know if Tom Cruise is the best example, but Sean Connery and Hillary Clinton and Britney Spears, like these, these people who take a moment and they step back and they decide to make a change when they are being given every allowance to be as shitty as they want to be. <laughs> they don't right. take it. They, they take that step back and they look and they go, Oh, even though like no one's going to tell me to stop being whatever I want to be. Like he had every permission to be whatever he wanted to be. He could have continued being an asshole forever and been justified and had all the money and all the, all the power, but he didn't from what we're assuming. Right. And from the interactions of him and his, and his wife, like he, and what the church of Scientology wants us to believe about. (laughs) But yes, again, not Tom Cruise, but (laughs) like you look at that and you go, Oh, so he consciously made a decision to change. That's very powerful. That takes a lot of will and a lot of determination to make a change when you're being told and given every excuse not to. Yeah. So Sean Connery had a very long and and storied career. Uh, It started in the 1950s. His very first role credited on IMDb, he was an extra in a crowd scene. Um, and he did a lot of, uh, bit parts. Um, I think the, the first movie that I'm seeing here that I actually, uh, know him from is Darby O'Gill and the Little People in 1959, uh, which we talked about, uh, on, 
on an earlier episode. Which is episode not the Gnomobile. Not the Gnomobile. <laughs> <the> Gnomobile. <laughs> Sean Connery is not in the Gnomobile, but he is in Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Uh, and that's what got him the role of James Bond. Um, so, can we just uh, can we just talk about how crazy it is that the role of Darby O'Gill got you to be James Bond? Right? I that's know, like, right? I mean, I that is really at my crazy. local children's hospital, and now I'm a quarterback in the Waterboy Two or whatever it is, right? Like that's just, and no matter what Brooks' name is, we all know that. Darby O'Gill should have been Sean Connery. So there. <laughs> well, it's it's funny because you know you look at what what else he's doing. Like he started negotiations to do Bond soon after Darby O'Gill because Albert Broccoli went to see the movie and was so enamored with this this guy he saw, and then had his wife go to the movie to confirm like is that guy as sexy as I think he is? And she's like, oh yeah, he is. So and then, started and then Sean Connery out. hit both of them. That's <laughs> <laughs> what our story was. I'll smack you. I'll show uh, you how sexy I am with my There it was. Yeah. There was yeah. the impression I was waiting for. Well done. There we go. Uh, and then, but like for the next two to three years, he's doing a lot of like highbrow stuff. He's on... Uh, several ITV plays of the week, including Arthur Miller's The Crucible, uh, playing the lead there. Uh, he does a, a TV version of uh, Shakespeare's Scottish play, which I won't say here to try to and not invoke ah. any bad juju here. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, an Anna Karenina adaptation uh, where he plays Vronsky. Uh, and then he's in the longest day, and then in 1962, Doctor No. It begins. Yeah. And and then that goes Doctor No in 1962 from Russia with Love 1963, um, Woman of Straw 1964, Marnie, uh, which we need to talk about, Goldfinger 1964. The Hill, 1965. Thunderball, 1965. Uh, And then uh, A Fine Madness, 66. You Only Live Twice, 67. Um, And that's that's the original run of Connery as Bond. So by 1967, like, he's already had the kind of career that people just... After that, they disappear forever because they don't need anything anymore. Yeah, and, and, and that's just the first part of his and, career. And we're talking about movies that are are excellent, and that he's yes. not even remembered for them. Like The Hill is an excellent movie. You know, Sidney Lumet directed it. It's a great film. Yeah, it's got like an eight on IMDb, right? That's all these great films, and nobody cares, right? Even Marnie, which is another great movie that yes, nobody remembers. Because he was doing so many other things. I mean, you can't put Tippi Hedren and Sean Connery in a movie and not have it be great. But nobody talks about these films because, like you said, Andy, that the other ones just dominated um, what he was doing. And then right. Zardoz came about and we were all brought back <laughs> down to earth. <laughs> Sorry. Well, that, yeah. I'm so, jumping the gun. Go back to the 60s for a minute. So, yeah, but anyway. Uh, so when when we did our podcast on the rock and we said goodbye to Sean Connery, we we talked about like our favorite 
uh, roles, and Mark mentioned Marnie, and I'm like, you know, there are a, a, a dozen plus Hitchcock movies that I've never seen. That's one of them. Let's watch it. Uh, it is streaming on Peacock, the new NBC Universal streaming service. Uh, but you have to you have to sign up for the seven day free trial. There's a free version of Peacock, then there's a non free version of it. I signed up for the seven uh, the seven day version to watch Marnie, um, and Peacock should sponsor this because uh, yeah, free advertising plus what what the hell. Like, I'm paying for it, and there's ads. But, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Peacock. Not, not to be confused with the Katy Perry song, Peacock. That is a very, no. di very different sign-up. No, yeah, very, very different. Um, but, yes, the Peacock streaming service, which actually has some cool stuff on it. You should go check it out. Um, but, um, yeah, so I, I watched Marnie. Man, that's a trip. Holy um, smokes, what a great film. Wow. Uh, that was a movie that, like, halfway through it, I'm like, I feel like I need to go back and rewatch the first 20 minutes of it. Yep. Because I think I missed a lot. And, yeah, I, I did. It it all makes sense and, and comes together by the end. But it's like, man, that is dense and good. Yeah, it's heavily layered. <sighs> um, Very very intense and psychological but also like you know they talk about oh you could never make blazing saddles today i think they couldn't make marnie the same way today because it's it's very rooted in sort of a like 1960s understanding of psychology and repressed memory versus like mm -hmm. i think what would be understandable uh or or relatable today um i think you could do a version of it but uh, i'll tell you what i don't think they would get away with the uh the male lead who we're supposed to kind of be in love with but also he seems like an abusive asshole and he rapes tippy hedron excessively yeah. abusive I don't well, know. The, the, mov the movie kind of justifies his actions uh, throughout though which yeah is, yeah it's, which makes it even so more weird tricky. yeah <sighs> well there's i think hitchcock had some weird issues with tippy oh Hedren. you think <laughs> yeah I there think. Was, I'm well pretty sure to be fair he he offered the role first to um elizabeth montgomery who was but she was in bewitched so she couldn't get oh. away from bewitched oh i didn't know so, that she would have been yeah. great in this yeah but i think the most the, the the worst part of Marnie for me, other than I'm the worst non-film part, is the tagline because I think it's so misleading. On Marnie's wedding night, he discovered every secret about her except one. Like, is that the most incorrect tagline mm. for the premise of the film? Right? Like you said, it's this dense psychological film, and they make it the pizza porn. Right? Like. Could the, you, the poster and, says Alfred Hitchcock's suspenseful sex mystery. He <laughs> <laughs> did so many things wrong selling the movie for what it really is. And I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons why um, it doesn't have as high of a rating as it, it maybe should. But yeah, there's 
like the whole marketing of that is just was just really strange connery looks exactly the same in the poster as he did in his funko pop so that was well done <laughs> yes he definitely does. like that's the funko pop connery face so good good on you there it well, totally uh... is. They, they did a good version of uh, having him even like tone down his accent even more uh for that like he did he did very well he was very uh not sean connery right um, and yet very connery in his like movements and uh his forcefulness the present yeah 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 Yeah. that was very connery which is what i was talking about because when you compare his performance like in marnie and the roles he took on after the mid 90s there's like a gigantic and of course there would be because it was three decades in between right Right. But but there's uh, and I'm I'm convinced that life experiences got him to do certain choices when portraying actors later on in life. Yeah, and I I'll tell you what, like man, I definitely think that Sean Connery's James Bond is an asshole. Not as much as Mark Rutland did Marnie though. Oh, yeah. That guy's an asshole. <laughs> wow. That guy's horrible. <laughs> really terrible. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, um, and and uh, Connery continues his run. He walks away from Bond for a movie. Um, and then they they back up a Brinks truck of money to his his back door so that he'll come back uh, for Diamonds Are Forever. And he turns oh. that into um, a a series of movies that he also several of them he wants to help produce uh including zardoz um but but in between leaving you only live twice and coming back for diamonds are forever he complained about feeling typecast and not really being able to find any other roles i don't know if uh in that in that period from 67 to 71 if there's any any faves folks want to point out that or should uh, we just talk about zardoz we Would, and, uh, where's my cutoff any- uh, diamonds are forever, so seventy-one. So uh, in between, you only live twice in seventy-one. You've got I mean, the, the TV movie Male of the Species. Um, I have not seen that. Me neither. Got, I think uh, Michael Caine and uh, is in it. Michael Caine. Uh, Michael Caine. Lawrence Olivier is the narrator. Um, it's there's a it's there's all kinds of weird like. The the lady has like three men in her life, and they're all varying levels of, um, like dysfunctional. So it's that kind of weird made for TV movie. Mm. Um, I I liked Shala uh, Shalako, even though I've never seen it. Um, <laughs> you just like the name. <laughs> well, it's like it's a Louis Lamour book. So oh, okay. I didn't but, even know that. But the, you, the poster is the best part. Of Shalako because it says Sean Connery is Shalako. Shalako means action. Action means Bardot because Bridget Bardot is also in. Oh yeah. So uh, I mean, forget you, Red Dead Redemption. Kind of action. Yeah, <laughs> but you got to look at the pictures. The pictures of Sean Connery as um, one of the Sackets as Sam Elliott without a mustache is pretty entertaining. Like I don't know why people thought he'd be a a good cowboy, but anyway. Shout out oh. to Shalako because Shalako means action. Yeah. Oh, speaking speaking of of westerns and things, I forgot to mention 
when when Bruce Dern shows up at the end uh, uh, Marnie. The cameo of Marnie. <laughs> I, I did I did that thing that um Leonardo DiCaprio does the meme in Once right, Upon right. a Time like, in Hollywood. I know, I know, I know. Screen, I'm like, oh, Bruce Dern, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so um yeah. Okay. So, so after not- diamonds are forever. Yeah, let's get into the the, uh, mar- the mark. Let's talk about, let's talk about Zardoz. Yeah, there, let's get into the mark. The yeah, after seventy one, there's some real stinkers. There's some good stuff too. He there did, is some good stuff on the Orient Express. With he was um, great there, and uh, yeah. I also liked him in the Man Who Would Be King. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah but uh, oh my god, Robin and Marion is just like what the hell. Uh, I I don't like Robin and Marion at all. And of course, Zardoz. Zardoz just, oh my God. Did you, see a, did you see a bridge too far? I liked a bridge too far. Yeah, yeah, I did. I, really yeah, I, I like a bridge too far. Yeah. I, I never did see uh, the Great Train Robbery, so I don't know much about that. Uh, and Outland, uh, you know, we're, we've already jumped into the 80s with Outland. Oh, that's that and Time Bandits are Time Bandits win win right there. That's well, when he started coming back. Yeah, that's when he started coming back. And Outland is one of those movies that was great conceptually, but I'm not sure it was the delivery was all there. But that it had nothing to do with the acting. It's you know, it had everything to do with set and, and production. But well, it, was, uh, I, it, was, it was the Peter Hyams, right? He did them in. Yes. He, he had the yeah. Presidio. Yes time cop right so he he's used to semi entertaining right moderately terrible films that yeah. just make a lot of money so <laughs> but i mean it was a pretty good concept it's it just was the, the execution was was pretty bad yeah. uh but and then of course time bandits i mean jeez who well what who a run. and then highlander i mean what a great five years of crazy sci-fi yeah in between, never say never about that turkey film again. Well, we won't talk oh, about Jesus that. Jesus Christ, that movie. <laughs> but yeah, then, I mean, but all yeah. the stuff around that is like this, you know, the beginning of the Connery songs, you know? Um, Ooh, I like what you did yeah, there. And then, and then he follows it up in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. Like, that's where I, th- I think that there are two peak Conneries. First peak Connery was probably like Thunderball era. Mm-hmm. And second peak Connery is probably, you know, some, I, I don't know whether it's Untouchables or, or Last Crusade, but, but somewhere in there. I think, I think you got to have, I, I think that was, so we talk about it. Let's, let's take Connery's career. Um, not so much as peaks, right. But, but rather, I mean, because you can't from 1981 to like 1996, mm-hmm. it, it's solid gold. I mean, even yeah. his even his turkey movies, he's good in, right? Yeah. Like right. Medicine Man, I fell asleep in Rising Sun. I like Medicine Man. I see. I was just bored. Russia House was good. Uh, I like Russia House quite a bit. And then and then you know, first night, uh, uh, you know. The Rock was there. First night was pretty bad, and then you had the <laughs> Avengers and Entrapment, and um, you need to backtrack on first night. That's that's where you start. I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna fight you, JB. <laughs> the Avengers. Ugh. Oh uh, yeah, the, the Avengers was pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, you have some other you have some other good stuff in there, like yeah, yeah. Finding Forrester. But I, I, you're right, Andy. I don't know if you have 
peaks. I mean, you have his Bond stuff, but even his, I mean, we've talked about all of his Bond films. Not a great set of films, you know? Like, he's got a couple good ones, but I'm not saying they're all winners compared to 1981 to 96 Connery, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, but- I'll, I'll say this: if you if you exclude, um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service because it's one and done, he's got the second best batting average of he does. of, of he does. any other Bond. He does. So I, I, my that's... my thought would be if you put all of his Bond films up against 1986 to 1996, if you take Highlander, Untouchables, Presidio, Last Crusade, oh right yeah. Now, I'll like, take late Connery over early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, late. I think uh, it's, yeah, you're right. It, it's hard to say it's a peak because he was so good mm-hmm. from there on out, you know. But I want to hear Mark fight for late, late Connery. I want to hear the I loved the Avengers more than any other movie. No, not Avengers. That was that was that was a turd. I um, would watch Dragonheart every day, Mark. I love Dragonheart. I love and Dragonheart. I, love, I know right? it, Brooke, but you know, you're with me here, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, go, J, JB's dumb. I love anyway. it. I love that movie because they capitalized the H for no reason. Like Dragonheart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they did that. Because the heart is the center of the movie. For so many this movie's Have you even watched JB. it, JB? Have you, you know, even watched I it? Have. Of course I have. I watched every animated film in the nineties. That's <laughs> they were they were the biggest. And I liked entrapment. Oh, I, I love entrapment. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that JB didn't like at all that I you know that I liked quite a bit was First Night, but I mean, I'm a I'm I a legend first of First Night too. Okay, so I'm not the only one. No, JB's the odd man I have, out here. I have the first night on my list. Oh, nice. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I, I made a list Maybe of because of... I wasn't smart enough to know better, but I like. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. Yeah. I, look, that's look. It's completely like people should like what they like. There's yeah. no, there's no shame in that. If you love yeah. Zardoz, don't yuck on my you yum. You love Zardoz. <laughs> Nobody Zardoz, loves Zardoz, aka the prequel to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I think <laughs> the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is a masterpiece compared to Zardoz. Jeez, <laughs> like, I think that's the is, fight we had was like which which one's the worst. Yeah. Well, the and thing is that Zardoz just makes fight. no sense whatsoever on any level. The artistic decisions, the directorial decisions that were made. So I'm made. guessing you haven't done a lot of drugs. I mean, yes, He's but done you more than me. <laughs> <laughs> My trips were well, always Andy, better than Zardoz. I'm pretty sure that toddlers have done more drugs than you. <laughs> That's probably true. But <laughs> have you but, had ibuprofen? Okay. <laughs> but I'm but I'm the one who's like you know there's something to Zardoz even though it's a mess. There, I don't um, think there's anything to it. <laughs> You're also still Mormon, so. <laughs> I, well, okay. Well, I, 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 but I, I just, I think I that. I think since where others don't. Anyway, but the the whole thing, like, uh, now that there you go. Um, <laughs> my my argument is, um, like, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen should have been like an easy layup, and it was a disaster. Zardoz is a mess because it was always going to be a mess. And it's just, you know, cocaine on celluloid. Um, 
you know, I'm I'm so much more angry because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen should have been good. I agree. And and it just wasn't. And, well, they, and that it's not Sean Connery's fault at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, they introduced Tom Sawyer as a new character. Yeah, that, that's the first. Yeah, I mean, they tried to Americanize a a British pulp graphic novel, and that is where they went wrong from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, so those choices ruined the movie. Not so much Sean Connery's performance, because I I really don't see fault in that. But and I think that's where you come to Mark your point earlier. You know, if the entrapment is is great because the two leads are yeah. so excellent in it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, all of his movies, he's excellent in. Even First Night. I mean, Richard Gere needs a different facial expression. Um, <laughs> That's in, true. In that That's whole true. movie. <laughs> he and Ormond, I've never seen. I'm like, are these wood statues? Like, is Connery doing all the work here? <laughs> Who else is helping? But n- none of the movies, Andy, to your point, since 1986, really are any fault of his if the movie's no good. Even the Presidio, which is a total made-for-USA kind of film, mm. man, he goes all out yeah. in that film. And you're like, hey, Mark Harmon, isn't that the guy that can only make it on TV? Yeah, but Sean Connery yeah. carrying him through this whole movie. <laughs> it's really funny because it from, from a lot of the stories that I started to hear, like everybody had a Sean Connery story and like Twitter was full of them. And people were talking about all of these experiences with him. People who are like, um, you know, our age or a little older uh, who had experiences with late Connery uh, and, you know, things about how like really amazing he was to work with on a creative level. Right. If he respected you and but like if if he thought you were if he thought you were just like total dog shit, like he was done and he walked away from a lot of projects because of that. And there was a really great story. Um, the, the two screenwriters were too gracious to mention, uh, but a lot of internet sleuths figured out that the, the director in question was Brett Ratner. Um, you know, talking about going through a series of rewrites on the script with Connery and how amazing he was and how, he definitely had all of these really great creative ideas. And he was one of those people uh, like Carrie Fisher, who, you know, had a knack for uh, character and rewrites and story beats. And um, although unlike Fisher, he, he wasn't a script doctor, but like he knew what he wanted to do and how he wanted to pace a character that he wanted to play. And, you know, he's willing to work with these, like, really young, really fresh screenwriters to get the movie that he wanted. And then he walked away from it because he thought the director was a hack. So, you know, I I think that helped uh, that he became really choosy about, you know, what he wanted to do. Um, Probably, I mean, hopefully because he learned a good lesson from Highlander, too. Yeah. And was like, I don't want to be in that situation again. So. Yeah, you know, Highlander 2 is just, I, I still don't understand what they were thinking. We, if we there just pretend only, it doesn't exist. There's there only one Highlander movie. One, why is there a sequel? 
That doesn't right. make sense. And, and why why make it that they were from another planet? Like, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, exactly. But, the, Mark, the, there's only one Highlander movie. There is. Everything I, I, I believe it doesn't this. exist. Yes, we need, to, we need to bomb this IMDb entry because I, I refuse to acknowledge its existence. <laughs> or three or four or anything after that. Or any any of it. Yeah. The TV I mean, series. Although, no. okay, wait, no, we no, stop because the TV series I was a fan of. Okay, the TV series. Okay, was but, okay. as a but matter of fact, I thought Adrian Paul would have made a great Bond. Okay, but if, hmm. if he hadn't directed Highlander Two, how would he have done so well at all of the Duran Duran videos that he directed? <laughs> <laughs> could, he, could he have done Taylor Dane Original Sin? No. Could he have done, he have done Boy George Whisper? No. We're missing the point that without him, there is no Go West video. There's no Berlin sex, I'm a, right? There's no Wild Boys. There's no Total Eclipse of the Heart. All these are because. Wait, which Go West video did he do? Did he do King of Wishful Thinking? No, he did um, Call Me. Oh, okay. Because King of Wishful Thinking is a bananas music but, video. But and... let's, look at this. He did all anyway. the. His his music video, Russell McKay, who did uh, Highlander 2, Human League, ACDC, The Buggles, he did the video Killed the Radio Star, Paul McCartney, Ultravox, Duran Duran, Kim Carnes, The Tubes, Rod Stewart, Elton John, all the Elton Johns, Fleetwood Mac, Rolling Stones. I mean, this dude, this dude honed his shitty movie craft by making great music videos and then went on to do i think a couple of the resident evil films so, so, so he was the the proto michael bay yeah resident evil extinction scorpion king 2 oh scorpion king 2 he didn't even get to do scorpion Jesus. king 1 <laughs> <laughs> poor guy scorpion king 2 wasn't wasn't horrible I'm not gonna yes, i i yes, did not was. see scorpion king 2 yes it was it had simon quartermain with, and Randy Couture. That's that's the best part. Okay, we've really taken this far. Let's get okay. let's get back so, to Connery. Yeah, because he didn't do any music videos, so that's good. Yeah, yeah. Good thing for Connery. He didn't do any music. Videos. <laughs> um. Okay, so I I I think we still need to put a, a cap on his career with Finding Forrester because I know okay. how much we I like that. We I all love, love that, that movie. movie. Great and film. it it feels like his capstone performance. Yes, in a lot of ways. Um, I, like we've we've talked on the Rock episode about what we what we like about it, but you know why is it that this speaks so much to to us? I mean, for me, aside from the literary aspect of it, I mean, we're following. He basically embodies J.D. Salinger, and I love. I, I've always loved reading about J.D. Salinger's life because it was just so weird and like it's uh, and mythical as well. Uh, by the way, like there's still like hundreds of manuscripts that he typed up that he kept in a vault, J.D. Salinger, that yeah. we still we still haven't Seriously? seen published. Yes, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. hundreds, hundreds, and. There's all these legal battles still. I knew about there was what... a lot that he didn't want 
published, but I didn't know it was hundreds. Yeah, no, it's it's a crap ton, and I hope someday before I die we'll be able to to read what he wrote. But I mean, it, and and this movie is basically him being uh, J.D. Salinger. But like like I said, the performance that he did in this movie is just aside from like representing the craft, like he's just so fantastic. I equate this performance to Robin Williams's performance in Goodwill Hunting because uh, yeah. there's there's a depth to I- I- emotion, uh, the way he emotes uh, in this movie, and especially in that speech where he's talking about how uh, he he's he has to identify his brother's corpse. Uh, in the hospital and the nurse is asking him for an autograph because she recognizes who he is and and it just it tears you apart Um, the fact that this man has lived his life alone for so long because he can't connect with anybody else and he finds a connection with the most unexpected person that you would you would think because I mean just imagine J.D. Salinger hanging out with somebody from Harlem. Like, you wouldn't expect that. You expect him to be hanging around with all these, you know, hoity-toity intellectuals. And, you know, Sean Connery's character in this movie connects with somebody that, it, it, you know, in terms of, uh, of the scheme of things, is kind of insignificant. And that's the whole point to the movie, anyway. But, I mean, it's just, it's just a performance for the ages. It's one of my favorite performances ever. And on the list of great uh, Connery films, I have this one, probably the second greatest performance, second favorite movie overall. I, I yeah. love this movie so much. Y'all. So, so let me, let me, cause I think Andy, I'm, I'm, I'm reading into where you might want to be taking this. And if I'm wrong, correct me, Mark, would you say that this role is the culmination of everything he learned in what he didn't want to be as an actor, what he was asked to be as an actor into what he maybe wanted to be the whole time. Yes. Bingo. Yes. Okay. Exactly. I'm glad I've known Andy long enough to, to know. <laughs> you know, my leading like, question, I, I, you know, that I, that's what I was. I had missed that after knowing you for 25 <laughs> years, uh, I turn in the turn in my papers, but yeah. I, I think, I think that's exactly Andy, I think you're right on. I think that you look at all of the foibles and all the mistakes and all of the good pieces. I mean, we talked about Bond films where little nuances of things he did, right? Little little adjustments and things he changed from film to film. He really doesn't have a flaw in Finding Forrester. And it. you're right. It It is probably the swan song of a really, really incredible acting career. So I, I well, think that really cool andy that you you brought it to that yeah and given that he was at that time able to exert so much creative control i mean this was a this was a fairly low budget i mean it was a major studio film but it was made like an indie film and you know so he definitely had the ability to massage this the way that he wanted to uh, to let his character shine. And I, I, the, you know, the whole story is, you know, sort of passing a torch along from someone who has felt reclusive and misunderstood um, and passing the torch along to the unlikeliest of people who no one would ever expect that he would give a shit about. 
or that society would ever think, you know, to look twice at him and say, oh, mm-hmm. that guy's more than just a basketball player. Right. You know, he's got something going on between his ears. And it, without being preachy, um, it's a, it's about passing the mic to someone else. Uh, and that's just so powerful. And I just, you know, I, I, I think it is, you know, Connery didn't have to do that movie, but he wanted to, you know, showcase, you know, other talent other than his own around him. Busta Rhymes. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, that's, it's just, a. I just, I think it's a great, you know, a lesson about using that privilege that you have and using it in a positive way. And, and so that's like both the textual, my textual read on Finding Forrester and my meta textual read on it of, of what makes it so great. And the, the very quote that you're referencing, the rest of those who have gone before us cannot steady the unrest of those to follow. That's, mm. that's the line that he writes in the book that Jamal reads and asks him about. Um, and I, it's like the culmination of not only the film, but the acting career. And then, like you said, other than League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, he disappears and doesn't want to do anything ever again. You're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. Love that movie. I adore that movie. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've we've gone through most. Of, okay. Oh, wait. We're gonna do our our top five, top ten, whatever we've got. But first, I want to tell this story about Michael Bay, oh, yeah, which yeah. is very funny. Uh, so Michael Bay wrote this on Halloween in the Hollywood Reporter um, about his time working with him on The Rock. Uh, and he he says he was a legend. We all have a few teachers in our careers. And uh, Sean Connery was one of those for me. Um, and uh, he just he talked about how patient Connery was with him as they do these, you know, kind of silly shots. And, you know, he's on his second film and Connery's just there like, yeah, we can do it. So, um, uh, he, he slammed his head into the windshield of the car during the car chase scene. Cause he was on the windshield filming it. And, uh, he's like, he says, you Okay. I say, no, the Disney folks are here to kick my butt for us being two days over schedule. Sean, with that sly look, says, you want me to help. Cut to having lunch with the Disney execs in a third grade classroom, sitting at tiny tables and chairs. We looked like giants. I announced that Mr. Connery would like to visit and say hi. Sean comes in, sits down across from the open-mouthed executives. In classic Sean Connery style, he belts out in his Scottish brogue, This boy is doing a good job, and you're living in your Disney fucking ivory tower, and we need more fucking money. Without missing a beat, they responded, okay, how much? (laughs) He did it because he loved movies. He loved excellence and doing the best he could. His work ethic was bar none, the best I've ever experienced. Uh, Wow. 
Give um, us your fucking money, Disney. Give us your fucking money. <laughs> and this is before they had all the money, hypothetically. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Disney was doing well in the mid-90s, but not, I mean, not like they are today. That but... movie made $350 million for them. Good yeah. choice, Disney. Well yeah. done. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, all the money they spent on that was definitely well invested. They, um, And I guarantee you on DVD sales, they've made even, oh, even more. People are. Quadrillions. Yeah. Quadrillions. People like people that. love The Rock. Uh, look for One uh, The Rock dollars. Adventures coming soon to Disney Plus starring Nicolas Cage. No, just <laughs> um, not really. Uh, but that's just such a funny story. And like, what was Connery doing? Like sticking his neck out for Michael Bay. Um, he didn't care. Crazy. But it's that- awesome. Yeah, I mean, what does he have to lose? Yeah. He probably liked Michael Bay. Michael Bay was probably like, yeah, do it however the hell you want. What do we care, you know? You're I, Sean I think Connery. they're very kindred spirits. I think they probably share a lot of the same sort of views on, on many things. Oh, I'm, so. I'm pretty sure Connery had a lot to do with how his character was. And um, Michael Bay was like, sounds great. Go ahead. I love it. Yep. Yep. So probably, uh, yeah, very helpful. Okay, let's talk about our favorite uh, Connery movies. Other than Zardos, Mark, you can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> that's my, favorite, that's my favorite movie to hate. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a numbered top ten. I couldn't do it. I just, I can't. Give me your top three. I have a top three. What is your top three? Um, even Even top three is still hard. Oh, I can't um, number but, them. But Un- Untouchables, Last Crusade, and Goldfinger, probably. And I've got... Yeah, yeah, I've got um, Hunt for Red October, number one. Um, now, again, these are these are my favorite movies he's in, not his mm-hmm. role. So Hunt for Red October, Last Crusade, and it's a, it's a toss-up. I love Time Bandits, but I don't think his role is large enough. Um, yeah, right. So I'd probably say From Russia With Love is my three. Hmm. But it's like you said, Goldfinger and From Russia With Love are three, a, three and three A, right? Right. And and if and if I go out to my to my top five, then the other two are uh, are Hunt for Red October and The Rock. So yeah, that'd probably um, be. That'd probably be mine. I'd add Goldfinger and The Rock, and then Finding Forrester. I think would be six. Yeah. Um, what about you, Mark and Brooke? What say thee? What does Brooke say? I want, I want Brooke to go first. Hmm. Okay. So if I'm going in order, I would say Finding Forrester is my number one. Um, I would put. Hmm. You love Time Bandits. I remember that. I know. I know. I love it. I'm going to go Finding Forrester, Time Bandits, Hunt for Red October, um, The Rock. No, no. Indiana Jones. Dr. No, and then The Rock. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Dr. No is a good one, too. Especially the man now, Brooke. (laughs) (laughs) Get in the sub. 
<laughs> you Paul Rushke. <laughs> These are all actual Sean Connery quotes, by the way. Yes. Get in the sub. <laughs> That's my Arnold version of that quote. Get in the sub. Get in the submarine. <laughs> Mark. Oh, man. I've been thinking about this since uh, Brooke uh, sent us a, a message that we should podcast to remember Sean Connery. And I can't number them, guys. I, I can't. So what I did is yeah. I have a list of the top 10 movies that I love uh, Sean Connery. And then two movies that are just so good that they're in a league of their own. They I mean nothing can touch them. So because they so, have extraordinary gentlemen in them, because, is that <laughs> because they have extraordinary these two uh, the two movies that I'm, I'm I'm setting aside are untouchable. See what I did there, y'all? Uh, well, <laughs> okay, so the my top ten. So the the first half would be uh, in no particular order. Although Finding Forrester is my fa- is is going to be my favorite Sean Connery movie, uh, but. So it's uh, <laughs> Finding Forrester, <laughs> Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, From Russia with Love, The Untouchables, and Darby O'Gill and the Little People. That's, wow. my, top, that's my top five. Oh, well uh, the the second half of the top ten would be uh, Entra- Entrapment, <laughs> The Rock, Highlander, and then JB's going to love this, First <laughs> Night and Medicine Man. Oh, wow. Movie <laughs> <laughs> night, night at Mark's house so I can get a nap. <laughs> I love but it. The, Looks like the, Zardos is looking better and better. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the, the two movies that can't be touched that represent Sean Connery are Goldfinger and The Hunt for Red October. Well done. And all, yeah. Those two are in a league of their own. Uh, they they are Sean Connery. Sean Connery is them in those roles. Uh, that's aside from my top ten. Uh, and I'd like to add Zardos because only one person could have played Zardos, and that's Sean Connery. That I mean, anybody could have played Zardos. Matthew McConaughey that was crap, and Matthew McConaughey would no, be great. Zardos. I don't, I don't know that anyone else could have played it. I think anyone else would have read the script and been like, "The <laughs> fuck is this?" Miles <laughs> Teller could have played Zardos. Miles Teller in Brian Brian Posehn, <laughs> Brian Posehn in Zardoz. No, like a weird civilization, man. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like Miles Teller and Jai Courtney could have each played Zardoz, and I wouldn't oh have hated gosh. it. I'm not gonna more. lie. If I could have gone back in time, I would have put Charlton Heston in that film. Oh my god, that, 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 that would have been interesting. At least think of the overacting that he could have given us in Zardoz. Damn you! Oh, serious. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, does does anyone have like I, I don't know? I feel like folks I think we, kinda... need, we need a quote. We need some favorite quotes. Do we have like, favorite what are, quotes? What are I mean, our we keep, quotes? Keep saying them. I know. We I mean, but my mine is the one that um, you know, uh, opens this podcast every week. Do you expect me to talk? No, no. Mister Bond. I expect you to die. Uh, I that's. That's always going to be my favorite Connery. Other than New Pot Rusky. New Pot Rusky. <laughs> He's got a lot of good. I mean, oh, all, man, there's, all there's of his great to me. Rock are good. I think, um, I think one of my all-time favorites is losers always whine about their best. Yeah. Winners go home and fuck the yeah, prom. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's classic Connery. 
Um, I mean, the mammoth's kind of hard to touch with untouchables and the like, what are you willing to do? You uh, like, he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. You put, he puts yes. one of your men in the hospital, you put one of him in the morgue. Yes. That's the Chicago way. Like, that's. You know, for me, like, um, good. I think I'm weirdly connected to the universe because uh, earlier, earlier last week, um, I was dreaming about stuff consistently. It was like the same kind of dream. And I didn't see his face, but I kept hearing the penitent man, the penitent man, the penitent wow, man. He's got some great oh. ones. Too. Uh, and, and man, just that movie's full of uh, Sean Connery quotes that I just adore. But uh, that whole sequence from that point on where he gets shot and uh, Indy has to go through all the tri- trials to get to the, to, the, to the cup, to the Holy Grail. You know, when they shoot from Indy's face to Sean Connery dying and going through the steps uh, of what he needs to do. I, I, I just love that so much, man. Spielberg and, and Lucas are just so fucking geniuses. But nobody could have played Indy's father uh, like Sean Connery did. Anybody else, I think it would have been kind of awkward and weird. I, I don't because think because he could... was an endearing asshole. Oh, no yeah. one yes. else can like Connery has got that down. Yeah, he's an asshole, but you love him. You oh, and get the... why Indiana Jones kind of hates his dad, but you also kind of love him. Oh yeah, what, the the whole, what happens at eleven o'clock thing and the whole hitting him with the fake vase? Yeah, all, all that stuff is just. Yeah, uh, he you couldn't have casted a better person for that even now. Right. Yeah. Or or someone who conceivably even in his like late 50s early 60s could have conceivably had sex with Elsa. You know, well, like, and, oh yeah, I, I believe that. I mean, <laughs> how could you have found the only person you could have found with more screen presence than Harrison Ford? Right? Yeah. I mean, how do you have someone who matches that is is probably is Sean Connery. I mean, because Lawrence of Olivier, Lawrence Olivier wasn't around, so Alec yeah. Guinness. So yeah, yep, yep. Not many of that breed out there. Nope. So all right, all right, all right. <laughs> McConaughey. <laughs> you can just imagine that. <laughs> I'm Zardoz. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> okay. Um. I, I, yeah, I guess that's. The, so you, I, I guess that's. So the, we've we we've, we've rounded out, um, a man of his time. Um, what well, we, I, I, I would like through his time and and come out the other side. And I would like for us to talk about. And, and the reason I want to talk about this is that. <laughs> when Brooke when Brooke sent us the message, it really struck me that it it touched her. You know, his death touched her, uh, and, you know, she felt it that hard. I want to know what Sean Connery means to each one of you. Well, what did he mean to you? Because uh, for me in particular, um, I, I have a very fractured relationship with my father. But mm-hmm. And there's very few things that we've bonded over. Very few things. I can count them on one hand. And... 007 and Sean Connery was one of those. And I'm always going to have that connection with my father because of Sean Connery. So he was a great actor. There's a lot of great movies associated with him, movies that I'll always love. And I'm going to, 
I'm gonna take that love with me till the day, till the day I die. But it's uh, it's one of those things that you know I have very few things that connect me to my father, and this is one of them. And I, it, Sean Carney doesn't know, didn't know I was alive or anything. But now that he's gone, I feel like maybe that connection to my father is gone as well. So. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of had these feelings when I read about his his death, and when Brooke sent us that message, I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I get the way you're feeling because I'm feeling that way too." So, yeah, Brooke, do you have a? I don't, this hit you so I don't know actually, because I remember like I sent you guys a message, and I was like, I don't actually understand why this is hitting me so hard. And I sent it and I was like, huh, it really is. And I don't know if maybe it's like. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I'm sorry. I just don't. I think there is some sort of fatherly or grandfatherly like connection to him that. I don't quite understand like growing up watching them with my mom and with like there's there's some sort of like ancestral connection to him and having him pass on and leave it's like okay now we're stepping into a new time and a new acceptance and um i don't beyond that like his movies have touched us in so many different ways in so many different phases of our lives and influenced growth and expansion in these different ways as and as well as like introspection like are we going to be that kind of person are we going to be different like what are what are we choosing and um honoring and accepting as well as like pushing away certain elements of human behavior is acceptable like i see you there and i can accept these parts of you as good but also like not accept these other parts of you and and seeing that like as humans we are more than just the best parts of ourselves and we are more than just the worst parts of ourselves and we can we can be variant shades of good and bad and still be a whole person that is that has worth that's all I got. I think you you hit on an interesting point, and and um, I think, I mean, most of us grew up in the what we would consider the seminal time of Sean Connery works, right? Like eighty one to ninety six, um, and you know, I I think you're right, Brooke. I think there's something about passing the torch in this, but you know, I always go back to the fact that he didn't actually do a movie since 2003 right Mm -hmm. so he is legitimately other than his his stunning cameos in celebrity jeopardy um (laughs) thank you daryl hammond yeah he has and and so i i think to follow up on what brooke's saying i think for me it's um how valuable is art in our culture um you know, I think Sean Connery was much more of our mother's f- fantasy, right? Because everybody's mom I know thinks Sean Connery is the like, the, like you said, the ultimate man. Just oh yeah, and suave, and you know, that's my mom. Everything. Yep, I think everybody's is, and so I, you know, I I don't have the. I was sad to see him to, to 
go because so many of his movies were so enjoyable to me. And I spent, like you said, Mark, that time in the theater with my mom or, or watching these films because we both enjoyed his movies for different reasons. But I, I think anytime we lose an artist, you know, Andy, I think we talked about this with Bill Withers earlier in the year. Mm. You know, we don't know these people. We, we know snippets of who they are. We, we know things that they did based on anecdotes and hearsay and those kinds of things. But I, I think Brooke, to your point, what, what they do is what's meaningful. Like, it, it it attracts the visceral in us for whatever we choose to take from it. Like Hunt for Red October brought my relationship with Andy closer, right? Because we both enjoy that movie. We watched it a lot mm-hmm. and still make jokes about it, right? The, the the Russian in it and those kinds of things. So when I watch it, I, I think of watching it with him, watching with my mom who also, you know, that's the movie that whenever it's on TNT, everybody stops what they're doing and watches it because it's such a great film so i think it's more of this person was legitimately one of the five greatest film stars of my childhood so of course i'm gonna feel like a piece of me is missing when he dies because that isn't there anymore right right? even though his films are still there all these great memories and all these things like you said mark come back to me and going oh i'm not going to have the representation of that anymore in this world and also 2020 has really blown some serious ass and it didn't get it easier either right but i think that's what it is for me because i think you're both you said it a lot more eloquently i think for me it's it's you know it, it it revitalizes the relationships i have with people because movies and music and art do that for me it it brings me closer to people that i appreciate and love um and and reminds me of the good times in that regard so um i think he's a good representation of that and john claude van damme but that's a different story (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and pre-russian steven seagal so i don't know what happened there nobody knows what happened to steven (laughs) that's a that's a whole other thing yeah he's you know he was just that guy you know like jb said he was you know, one of the preeminent movie stars of my, you know, my childhood and my adolescence. And that's, that's how it was. It was Sean, Sean fucking Connery, man. Yep. Um, you know, I, that's, that's just the way it was. And, um, I, yeah, I, I don't have as like emotional an attachment to it. Um, but you know i the thing that that i i think appreciate the most about connery um in the last several years when he hasn't been making films is the opportunity to have conversations exactly like this one yeah about um masculinity and um how our culture reflects uh you know what what that is supposed to be and sean connery and james bond as um scions of what that is to be a to be a man to be a man's man and and how you how you stand and how you act and how you dress and uh how you smack women around when 
when they aren't being as compliant as you want them to be and and so on and understanding them for the cultural artifacts uh that they are um i've also really enjoyed this conversation you know that is not analytical and talking about you know sean connery as a flawed human being who we believe grew and changed and um that that is that is good and we can only only hope that all of us continue to do that um you know our our grandkids are going to look back on our generation and talk about how uh you know how backwards we were and uh you know and hopefully humanity keeps evolving and getting better until you know and i don't know until we're like star trek or something but um or better than star trek i don't know uh and and that's that's my that's my hope and um so you know i you know thanks sean connery for all the movies and um thanks to you three for this awesome conversation yeah that was really fun yeah i yeah i didn't i didn't come into this thinking that we'd get um as much depth and and i mean it was really fun to hear all three of you talk about not only what the movies represented but what this persona means um culturally and and personally so it, well it you're a, welcome jb yeah, yeah i mean yeah. you all do so much for me <laughs> I just, I just want to say that if, if the world ends tomorrow, um, I couldn't have found three better people to spend the last night on earth with. So thank you. We love you, JB. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You have crap opinions on movies, but we love you. Well, you bring first first night over and give me a shoulder to watch it as long as you want. (laughs) That's what we need. We need a, we need a mandate and we'll watch, we'll watch medicine man and, uh, and. Oh, it's going to happen. The next time I go to Salt Lake city, I'm just going to show up at JB's house with my copy of medicine man and say it's happening, bro. And and I'll and I'll answer the door like Richard Gere in first night, and I'll spend the whole next two and a half hours making <laughs> the whole time. I do have my Zardoz chest hair ready for you though. So let me know. All right. Get, but do you get, have the boots? You yeah, need the get boots the on it. Yeah. Well, I've got the rainbow in the dark Dio boots. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> the purple ones. But... Nice. So what's awesome. what? What is next on our on our adventure? We we have we've basically this feels well, we're time traveling because we yeah. we already recorded an undercover brother episode with Dr. Paul White. Nice. And that will come out after this because I'm almost done editing it. Okay. I'll rush this one out so it's timely. And then that one will hopefully come later this week if the world does not blow up. Right. Uh, and then we're gonna try to do die another day after that one. Yeah, let's uh once things slow down, let's let's watch party that up. I th- Mark, did you find a copy? Uh shoot, I didn't even bother to clean my garage. It's on but a I'll, I'll... Wow, that sounds Don't you need a doctor for that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll find it. Uh, I'll I'll get my hands on it. Okay. Yeah. So and as then, long as we're not in like low key civil war by this weekend. Hopefully not, man. We hopefully. I cannot watch that movie without 
at least two, if not three of you. That movie, I need support. Otherwise, <laughs> I will not finish it. That, so that, got, that movie is like... Party. Talk about a movie that fails to deliver the promise it gives you the first 10 minutes because the first 10 minutes are actually pretty damn good to me anyway. Because yeah. it's like, oh my God, Bond has never been in this situation before. They finally got him. And then it's a shit. Oh, I thought thing. you were talking about the surfboarding. No, no, no. Not at all. Captured by the North Koreans. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's captured. He's tortured. And, you know, I remember seeing this in the theater and, and I was like, oh my God, like it finally happened. Like, what the hell's going to happen now to Bond? And then it's a complete shit fist right after that. And it, I was so pissed. Like, I, yeah. as much as I like Pierce Brosnan as an actor and, you know, as everything else I've seen him in. I was kind of glad he was done with Bond by that point. I, I I honestly thought that Bond was dead after this movie, like that that the franchise was going to be dead. Yeah, it was yeah. pretty close. Yeah, it was. That was, it, that was a turd. So, yeah, it was like it was so weird because it was creatively really dead, but that movie made a shit ton of money. I don't understand Bond, that. Which I, yeah, I don't understand it either. But people watch that movie a Here? lot. Pierce Brosnan was like, I mean, he had that mini Sean Connery vibe. People just, I mean, all all the ladies love Pierce Brosnan. When he pops that chest hair out in Remington Steel, yeah, man. I mean, he's a sexy 48, bitch. 48 to 72-year-old women go nuts. Yeah. I mean, still, the fuck is good looking. Whatever. I was you just you could drop that down to 41. I mean, I was going with, my, <laughs> with the demographic I did interviews with. I can't, I can't speak to anyone. <laughs> But I think that's I think there's a lot of it. It's just the you know, he he carried on that sex appeal of um the Connery days. Yeah. Yeah. So well All right. Uh, Let's do it. Re- rest in power, Sean. Um yep. and uh yeah, we'll we'll see you all next time. And rest in pleasure, Betty Dodson. Oh, oh Betty, right. I love you. Big kiss, Betty. Mwah. Throw back your head and kiss it all goodbye. Thank you, that will be all. God damn it, that's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Jen.